broadcasting on the Drug Truth Network, this is Cultural Baggage. It's not only inhumane, it is really fundamentally un-American. My name is Dean Becker. I don't condone or encourage the use of any drugs, legal or illegal. I report the unvarnished truth about the pharmaceutical, banking, prison, and judicial nightmare that feeds on eternal drug war. It's time to shut down deadly, ill-conceived drug war. So says our guest, Washington Post writer Neil Pierce, in his latest column, I'm Dean Becker, your host for this program. Today we'll also hear from Doug McVeigh with Drug War Facts, Glenn Greenway with the Poppygate Report, and we'll hear from a couple of voices from the recent Seattle Hemp Fest. First up, Neil Pierce. Once again, I'm glad to have with us here on the Drug Truth Network a writer from the uh, Washington uh, Post group, Mr. Neil Pierce. Mr. Pierce, you have uh, tried to provide focus on what can help neighborhoods, what can help communities in this country, but uh, something you uh, recently had posted uh, to the uh, Houston Chronicle, their headline they chose was, It's Time to Shut Down Deadly, Ill-Conceived Drug War. Uh, would you tell us about that column, please, sir? Well, uh, I just took a general look at, to begin with at uh, what's been happening with our war on drugs with uh, 38 million arrests, mostly just for possession, over the last uh, uh, 25 or 30 years, and uh, uh, millions of families are ruined and disrupted, and uh, uh, the United States becoming the most drug-happy nation on the face of the globe, and said, what's it about? Uh, and it is about the war on drugs. Uh, and it's been uh, just one of the great tragedies of American history that we fell into the pit that thinking that prohibition, which did not work to stop alcohol consumption, would work to stop the uh, consumption of various types of uh, narcotics. And, and the uh, result, uh, I think you stated, has been a miserable, incredibly costly failure. Uh, it, it, it parallels very much what happened with Al Capone and his ilk back in the uh, 20s when they, they tried to prohibit alcohol and they just made these men more powerful and more deadly. Uh, you, create, you create criminal uh, rings because there's profit in the illicit trade. The moment that prohibition stopped, it, it was a terrible blow. The, the Al Capones and the others were out of business. And it was not just the, the speakeasies and the folks at the distribution end, the little guys that uh, were closed down. Uh, it was the uh, big gangsters because the money stopped flowing through the system. I, I, I find it ironic that uh, in this time of terror, in this time of budget shortfalls, our infrastructure is crumbling, and yet we, we still have the, the time, the money, and the focus directed towards this decades-old, and, and I think uh, very obviously uh, uh, to most people, a, a, a failure and yet it still continues. Your, your thoughts on that? Well, what is strange is that we don't have a, 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 rob, a rob, at least a robust national debate. Why do we have this war? How effective is it? What would be the alternatives? Instead, we spend immense amounts of money on the war, and we imprison incredible numbers of people, and there's rarely a discussion. It's called the third rail of American politics. Presumably, if a political leader is to stand up and say very publicly, uh, this is a failure. 
someone will jump on him immediately and say, you're going to legalize marijuana or you're going to legalize heroin and my kid's going to get caught and it's your fault. So in order to protect our dear little kids, I suppose, or ourselves as adults from making bad choices, we want to create a criminalization system that causes these incredibly bad uh, impacts across our country and globally. Well, I know that uh, Thomas Jefferson used to grow opium poppies outside his Monticello home. And, and you know, if he were alive today, we'd be forced to arrest him as a drug kingpin. Now, well, it, that's true, but you remember that he uh, wrote in the Declaration of Independence about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And apparently he believes that those, uh, those, uh, those, those, uh, those, those opium poppies might have uh, been part of the happiness. Well, sure, and, and uh, I would imagine during the Revolutionary War... Uh, uh, been used, uh, extracted to uh, produce medicines for pain. Yes, and you have to remember that the, what is on the list of forbidden drugs changes over time. Most of it is culturally based against something people have a cultural prejudice against. I mean, look, right now we allow, because we know prohibition doesn't work, the consumption of alcohol, which is the biggest killer and the worst family ruiner that was ever invented. Uh, we allow still people to smoke cigarettes, which we know are death-dealing instruments in most people's hands, but marijuana, which apparently is more, more, more innocent, well, that got uh, got got involved uh, in American politics as something to get after because it was those those Mexicanos with their marijuana that were going to do us in. So it was a nice cultural target. Well, almost all every drug somewhere or the other has 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 had a drug has had a a, a, an ethnic or or nationalistic or other kind of a tag put on it, which put it on the prohibition list. I recall reading that uh, Negroes crazed on cocaine were uh, a threat to white women. Uh, yeah, that kind of thing. Yes, sir. Now, I, I noticed you had a couple of quotes in your uh, column from Jack Cole, the director of law enforcement against prohibition. Tell me about your discussions with him, if you will. Well, Jack uh, has the whole thing together very well. And has made a, uh, a, 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 a major and I think very successful effort of getting a lot, hundreds of audiences all across the United States uh, well aware of the, uh, of the of the futile nature of the of the drug war, and uh, uh, he has lots of interesting figures of speech to suggest why it goes wrong. I love his one of suggesting that we see uh, the regular uh, uh, pictures of. Uh, uh, a, a table filled with uh, illegal narcotics on one end and the ill-gained money on the other, and they finally have cracked down and gotten the guys that are doing this. And then another three or four years passes, and the same picture appears. It's just another bunch of guys well, who sure. got caught this time because the uh, the profit and the trade is so high that even if one group gets identified and the kingpin gets knocked off, uh, they'll be replaced. Well, I, I, reading from your column, there's an aspirant ready to coerce and, if need be, kill his way to dominance. That's right. As Jack says, it's so, so profitable that everybody has a gun. And when everybody has a gun, they tend to use them. Well, I, I try to produce uh, somewhat uh, satirical uh, PSAs and who wants to, let's play who wants to be a billionaire. You know, I mean, that's the, the, the situation in these uh, smuggling countries. You also reference when will we find any presidential candidate willing to talk to us honestly. I, I have seen nothing 
uh, in regards to this drug war from any candidate so far, either Democrat or Republican. Uh, very little, I guess, from uh, Kucinich and Ron Paul, but uh, they have to kind of force the issue to even, even mention it. Yeah, they are the two that are mentioned, and maybe I should have uh, tipped my hat to, to them to be willing to at least mention the issue. Uh, but the main, the, the main, the main contenders certainly are not uh, willing to talk about it. Nor are we in the media uh, apparently willing in presidential debates or in public forums to challenge the candidates. Who's standing up there and when when Hillary Clinton? Uh, or uh, or Giuliani has a press conference and saying, tell us that the war on drugs has succeeded. Are you going to keep going with it? Or what are you going to do when you're in office? They just don't get asked. And and yet the 38 uh, million Americans arrested, a trillion dollars poured down the toilet as far as I'm concerned, and and we're still no better off. It's it's like uh, I, I, the emperor and uh, no clothes. It's, it's yeah. just... There, I mean, there are issues about what a transition would be like, and there are issues that is to a legal a system of legalization, and there are very dangerous uh, uh, drugs. Heroin addiction is a very serious matter, but there are ways that are being developed around the world, like the Swiss with uh, with controlled clinics, uh, and they still have addicts, but they're not adding new addicts at the rate anything like the rate that they used to when they have. The heroin available, and it did not, when they had it legal this way, so that you could go to a clinic to get it, uh, it did not cause any appreciable rise in the number of addicts. And it, and instead, the number of addicts has, dripped, has dropped off because it's no longer a hip thing to do, and young people selling it on the street no longer get caught on it themselves. All right, once again, we are speaking with Mr. Neil Pierce, writes for the Washington Post Writers Group, and we're talking about his latest column, that was uh, titled in the Houston Chronicle, It's Time to Shut Down Deadly, Ill-Conceived Drug War. Uh, Mr. Pierce, I, I wanted to ask your thoughts. The, uh, you mentioned the, the media so seldom deals with this, uh, the politicians so seldom deal with this, and I wonder if it isn't a, a bit of embarrassment, uh, if you will, an, an unwillingness to talk about uh, the fact that support for this in the past has, has not played out, and just an unwillingness to talk about that failure. Yeah, your thoughts on that, sir? Well, I guess that may be true of the politicians to some degree. I think mostly they don't want to be caught by someone turning around and saying to them, you want to legalize these deadly drugs and let them, our kids use them. So that, that's what scares them. But it beats me what scares the media. I mean, we're supposed to have guts. We're supposed to be willing to raise uncomfortable questions. That's what we're trained to do. Why are we so muzzled? I just don't get it. Well, I, I don't either, sir. Now, you close your piece with um, uh, a prime example of uh, maybe the way the world could look at this afresh. You talk about the Sinless Council, the uh, Drug Policy Institute that's perhaps got a plan. Uh, you want to talk about that, sir? Uh, yeah, that's uh, the proposal that has been raised vis-a-vis uh, -vis the uh, question of uh, opium production in, uh, in Afghanistan. Uh, Afghanistan is now producing the overwhelming majority of the world's uh, uh, opium crop for, for to uh, to make heroin and, and similar drugs. This has been, by the way, uh, the, the the source of huge profit for the Taliban, uh, which then uses the money to terrorize and to kill uh, Americans and uh, some of our allies around the world. But at any rate, the Sendless Council, which is a European uh, drug policy institute, uh, has looked very carefully at the, at the situation in Afghanistan. 
and they suggest that the, a good good solution would be to make uh, make it legal to grow a poppy in, uh, 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 the poppies in, in Afghanistan, uh, but um, to buy up the entire crop, uh, which is a, a, some, something of value around six hundred million dollars a year, uh, and uh, use that crop uh, legitimately for pain painkillers like codeine and morphine that are derived from opium. Uh, and those substances are in huge shortage and very hard to obtain uh, in the most of the developing world. Uh, the result is, you know, thousands, millions of people uh, are are not treated for very severe pain that they have, uh, cancer, AIDS, other painful conditions, and they, they live and die in some agony. And if we could divert the, the, the crop have it made into those legitimate medications, uh, it could save an immense amount of pain for people uh, around the world. And it's also pointed out that uh, it would not increase addiction. Addiction is, is rarely caused uh, uh, when you're dealing with a legitimate issue of, of, of pain. Uh, so there's an idea of uh, using some of our money uh, to help the, 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 the farmers survive because they want to grow their, their crops uh, of, the, of the poppies. Uh, and uh, taking away a major source of uh, revenue for the Taliban, uh, doing some constructive things all around. Couldn't we think about being that unconventional these days? Well, it, it would be a major breakthrough and a wonderful thing if, if people would at least consider it at the, uh, the government level. Now, the United States government policy within the United Nations and any international circles is to uh, be militantly against anything that would legalize uh, uh, these narcotic substances in any way, uh, and it's adamant about that. Uh, and so our foreign policy is is geared to the war on drugs without question, which is one reason that we have the uh, the, uh, the the chaos that we have in many Mexican cities because of the uh, uh, our, our policy of uh, prohibition in this country, and the reason that we have mounted Plan Colombia, which has spent billions of dollars spraying fields trying to eradicate the, the uh, production uh, of coca in, uh, in, in, uh, in, in Colombia. This third rail you talk about, the third rail is, I think, the way out of this, is to just talk about it, to say, hey, wait a minute, our children already can get drugs. You know, pick up the phone, they're delivered within the hour. And, and we've got uh, this infiltration at the border. We've got corruption and bribery all over the place. I, I think it's no longer a third rail if these politicians would just stop and look at it. Well, and if they express to the public the multiple benefits of trying to think how we could switch over to a system of legalized, careful use with warnings to people about what the implications are of the use of these substances and not, not making them available for... for for children, we are able to keep children from buying alcohol and, for the most part, uh, smoking cigarettes. At least we work hard at it, and we could do the same thing with these substances. This is Gustavo de Grace, a former uh, general attorney of Colombia, talking about the drug problem to the Drug Truth Network. It's time to play Name That Drug by its side effects. Nausea, stomach pain, indigestion, vomiting, constipation, gas, weakness, tired feeling, increased appetite, unpleasant taste, headache, insomnia, unusual dreams, deranged behavior. Time's up. The answer from Pfizer Laboratories, Chantix, to quit smoking cigarettes. 
Poppygate, bizarre news about the U.S. policy on controlling heroin, featuring Glenn Greenway. Eleven and a half billion hits of heroin per year, two and a half tons per day, 206 pounds per hour, half a million acres under opium poppy cultivation, exponential growth, doubling in the last two years, a black market narcotics monopoly. This is today's Afghan industry, subsidized by international drugs prohibition and protected by the White House, busily turning flowers into gold. The process by which flowers are turned into gold is described by the famous Brothers Grimm, who, in 1812, told a tale of an evil dwarf named Rumpelstiltskin, who helped a poor maiden turn straw into gold in exchange for her first-born child, who, when born, was indeed claimed by the small, evil, magical creature. But the mother, now queen, bargained for her child, the dwarf agreeing to abandon his claim should she guess his name, and guess she did. So Rumpelstiltskin, quote, ran away angrily and never came back, end quote. This week has seen reports that Chinese weapons are being purchased by drug-rich Taliban fighters to kill Americans. Iran has hung 17 drug smugglers caught near the Afghan border. Fatal overdoses among heroin consumers in Scotland have reached record levels. In the fairy tale, the queen found out that spinning flowers into gold is the devil's own trade. Like her, we now know his name, we now have his number, and together we can send the puny drug war Rumpelstiltskins packing, running away angrily never to return. This is Glenn Greenway reporting for the Drug Truth Network. It is frustrating to be correct about something and yet be ignored. When a policy proves to be just as disastrous as you'd predicted, it's even more infuriating. Several years ago, before the United States invaded Afghanistan, my organization and several others warned that some of our allies were involved in heroin trafficking. Putting the warlords in charge would be disastrous. The UN's opium surveys show we were right. We warned years ago that failure to provide a legal alternative for poor farmers would create even more hostility toward the U.S., as well as generating a steadily growing pool of workers for the opium traffickers. Indeed, this had already proven to be the case in Colombia, the country on whose drug war we are encouraging Afghanistan to model theirs. In many ways, this is what we have done over decades of neglecting our inner cities and our poorer rural areas. We have trained millions to understand that there is no social contract. We've sown the winds of a drug war. We're reaping the whirlwind. From Athens, Ohio, where I had the honor of addressing the County Bar Association for the Drug Truth Network, this is Doug McVeigh, editor of DrugWarFacts.org. The following was recorded at the Seattle Hemp Fest. I'm Chris Crane. I'm the executive director of Students for Sensible Drug Policy. Uh, for those of you who don't know about SSDP, um, we're basically the student wing of the drug law reform movement, the marijuana policy reform movement. Uh, we've got chapters on about 110 college campuses throughout the United States and Canada. In fact, we just launched a sister organization, uh, Canada SSDP, um, who are working on Canadian issues. Um, 
So we organize students all around the country to work on various drug policy reform issues, but we also have a full-time lobbyist in Washington, D.C., and what we focus on in D.C. are issues that impact, uh, pr uh, primarily impact young people and students. So. Our, uh, our main issue has been this, the Higher Education Act drug provision or elimination penalty, which is a law that, um, as, as Dave Gard mentioned, denies, automatically denies federal financial aid to any student with a drug conviction. Um, and so to put that in perspective, uh, if you're convicted of uh, rape or murder or battery or aggravated assault or arson or any conviction other than a drug conviction, you cannot have your financial aid revoked as a result of that conviction. And yet, if you, have a drug if you are convicted of a drug offense, you automatically lose your financial aid eligibility for at least one year, up to indefinitely, depending on how many uh, convictions you have on your record um, and the nature of the offense itself. Um, we did have a major victory in our campaign last year. We were able to convince the Republican Congress, believe it or not, to scale the law back um, so that it no longer applies to people with prior, uh, prior convictions on their record. It used to be that if you had a drug conviction going back 25 years and you decided to apply for financial aid for college, you would be denied aid on the, as a, on the basis of that conviction. Um, we got Congress to change the interpretation of the law and instruct the Department of Education to only have it apply to students who are receiving financial aid at the time of their conviction. Um, now, that's a huge victory for us because up until, uh, basically from 2000 until now, 200,000 uh, financial aid applicants have been denied as a result of a drug conviction. We, would th we think that the majority of those, and we haven't seen the data yet on exactly who, uh, how many people have been denied in the last year, but we think that the majority of those people were people with prior convictions. So uh, we, we expect to see far fewer people denied this year. But, um, you know, this is a 10% solution to a law that's 100% flawed. And so we're working really hard now through the Higher Education Act reauthorization process to take this law off the books altogether. Um, the Senate version of reauthorization has gone through, and unfortunately um, it did go through without repeal language included. However, we have gotten uh, promises from Chairman George Miller, who chairs the committee, the Education and Labor Committee, that the uh, that reauthorization is going to go through in the House. And he's promised us and other important members of Congress that the bill will be introduced with language that fully repeals the, the uh, Higher Education Act drug provision. Um, so that's not going to end it right there. As Gard said, it's, it's going to go to conference committee. It's got to be worked out in sort of backroom negotiations. But before it even gets there, this is where everybody here who cares about this issue comes in. Um, Representative Mark Souter from Indiana is the, uh, was the original author of this law. Um, he is almost certainly going to introduce an amendment in committee to reinstate the drug provision. We're fairly certain we have the votes at the committee level to beat his amendment. We're, we're, we're pretty, pretty sure that we're going to be able to beat it in the committee. However, the bill is going to go to the House floor. And we don't know what the rules are going to be when it gets to the floor. It's quite complicated. It's possible that they're not going to allow amendments, which would be terrific. But if they do, uh, it's, it's almost positive that Souter is going to introduce an amendment to reinstate this provision. And what we really need right now is everybody to contact their member of Congress to let them know that if this amendment is introduced and if Congress tries to reinstate this provision, we need them to vote against it. So uh, I need everybody when you leave here to please go online, go to schoolsnotprisons.com, and there's a big banner right on the top of our website on Schools Not Prisons, which you can click on and send a, a letter to your member of Congress, call your member of Congress, and let them know that we need them to vote against this amendment if and when it does come to the House floor. Um, 
just a little bit more about what we do, and I'm going to pass this on. In addition to working on HEA, we also work on other issues that impact young people and students. One of the major issues that we've been lobbying on is student drug testing. Um, as you probably know, the Supreme Court a few years ago ruled that um, it's perfectly acceptable or constitutional for schools to randomly drug test any students that participate in extracurricular activities in public schools. Um, we've been trying to get Congress to cut the funding um, for student drug testing. Right now they make grants available to school districts that want to implement these random student drug testing which, uh, programs, which I find particularly offensive considering that um, you know schools are underfunded all over the country and yet Congress is making millions of dollars available um, you know, not for books, not for teachers or reducing class sizes or extracurricular activities, but for you know, kids to pee in a cup in front of their teachers. It's, it's morally reprehensible to us and we've been working a lot behind the scenes to try and get that budget cut. Um, we have gotten word that um, they are likely to reduce the, reduce the uh, grant money this year, um, a small amount, about $5 million less than they approved last year, but it is about $30 million less than the Bush administration requested. So that was, an, that was a, a step forward um, on the student drug testing issue. Um, and the other, what other major issue that we work on as far as uh, policies that impact youth are the the office, is the Office of National Drug Control Policies um, anti-drug youth media campaign. You all are probably familiar with these ads. These are at the, the ads on television that tell you that if you uh, you know smoke pot, that you're going to run over a kid on a bicycle, or uh, you know get your fist stuck in your mouth, or uh, you know, support terrorism. Or most recently, my, my my personal favorite that if you smoke marijuana, that your girlfriend's going to run off with a cartoon alien. Um, I, are your dog's going to hate you? Are your dog's going to hate you? Yeah, your dog will be disappointed in you. I mean, the answer is great. I actually emailed the one of the... Um the, the spokesman for the Office of National Drug Control Policy, when I saw this ad where a guy smokes pot and his girlfriend runs off with an alien, and, and I asked them if they, if they produced these ads specifically to entertain pot smokers. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, he didn't answer my email. Um, but uh, we have been lobbying Congress to cut the funding for these ads, and they are likely to cut the, cut the funding, uh, not significantly this year, but there will be a minor cut this year. But one of the things that's, you know, um, is that they're very likely, Congress is very likely to, if not mandate, strongly suggest that uh, the ONDCP stop focusing their ads on marijuana, and they, Congress wants to see them focus more on meth um, and the dangers of meth and some of these other drugs, which, you know, we're not really in favor of the government being involved in propaganda ads. They tend to do a pretty bad job no matter what they're doing, but if they're going to be spending these money, this money on these stupid propaganda ads, we'd, we'd rather they focus on, you know, the dangers of meth than, you know, trying to convince people that if you smoke pot, you're, you know, you're a terrorist or, you know, you're going to run over a kid on a bike or, you know, stick your fist in your mouth or try and outrun a guard dog um, or the kind of things that they've been telling you now. So, um, so if any of you are college age out there or have kids in college or in high school or are going to high school or college anytime soon and you're interested in getting involved, sign up for our email list. Visit us at schoolsnotprisons.com. Um, and uh, hopefully get involved and start a chapter in your area. We'll, uh, we'll do everything we can to get you set up. So thanks for being here. Okay, to close out today's program, in keeping with our focus on the situation in Afghanistan, I want to read from the New York Times, a column by John Tierney, Dispatches from the War on Drugs. Mr. Tierney quotes Dr. Ethan Nadelman, director of the Drug Policy Alliance. Quote, looking to the United States as a role model for drug control is like looking to apartheid-era South Africa for how to deal with race, end quote. Dr. Nadelman writes in detailing the failure of prohibition at home. After surveying other countries like Afghanistan, he concludes, global drug prohibition is clearly a costly disaster. The United Nations has estimated the value of the global market in illicit drugs at $400 billion dollars 
or 6% of global trade. The extraordinary profits available to those willing to assume the risks enrich criminals, terrorists, violent political insurgents, and corrupt politicians and governments. Many cities, states, and even countries in Latin America, the Caribbean, and Asia are reminiscent of Chicago under Al Capone times 50. By bringing the market for drugs out into the open, legalization would radically change all that for the better. More importantly, legalization would strip addiction down to what it really is, a health issue. Most people who use drugs are like the responsible alcohol consumer, causing no harm to themselves or anyone else. They would no longer be the state's business. But legalization would also benefit those who struggle with drugs by reducing the risks of overdose and disease associated with unregulated products, eliminating the need to obtain drugs from dangerous criminal markets, and allowing addiction problems to be treated as medical rather than criminal problems. End quote. The fall season is approaching. If any of you college stations are using any of the Drug Truth Network programs, please send me an email to dean at drugtruth.net. I'm proud to welcome to the Drug Truth Network, KDRT, out in Davis, California. Welcome. And as always, I remind you that because of drug prohibition, you don't know what's in that bag. Please be careful. To the Drug Truth Network listeners around the world, on behalf of engineer Philip Guffey, this is Dean Becker for Cultural Baggage and the Unvarnished Truth, the show produced at the Pacifica Studios of KPFT, Houston. Jap dancing on the edge of the canvas. <laughs>